Man, that is, um, that's powerful. See, that's a, that's a message that will preach itself this morning, isn't it? See, it's not about our words and it's not about our message. We just get to be part of what God's doing. And God goes before us. He, he picks out things before us. You know, like he knew we were going to be singing this morning. He knew who needed to hear it. And he just moved that all into place that this morning, in this moment, we could see that. And thank you, God, for that. It's so good. Man, this morning we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, so if you have your Bible, you can flip there. If not, I think it'll be on the screen back here behind me in just a moment. We've been talking about this uh, new series, or I guess old series now. It's been a few weeks of the good news, and I I love the good news. Thank you, one person. Because the good news, man, it's made all the difference in me. See, in reality, we were all living in the bad news that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we had no hope. That, that we were headed um, towards the wrath of God. We were under the power of Satan, but thanks be to God, he has some good news. We don't have to live that way, that we can be moved from death into life, that we can be, not be um, sinners headed towards the wrath of God, but we can be sons and daughters of God who are seated in the heavens, this is Ephesians 2, by the way, and have good works destined for us, that God has something for us to do. And that this morning, is it's good news. The essence of the gospel is good news. It's not bad news or mediocre news or kind of decent news. It is the good news. It's actually the greatest news. I don't know if they just didn't have a word for that or it didn't sound good. I don't know. But the gospel is the the great news or the good news of what God has done. And this morning, it's not just good news for the church. I love that it's good news for the church. I love talking about the good news. It's easy to stand up here and to preach about the good news. I love that the good news is something that we can share in church. And I love that the good news is good news for me, but I just want you to know the good news is good news for everybody. Yeah. People in this place and people that are never come in this place. People, people that you think are um, good people, right? Good people and people that you think are the worst kind of people because we're all the worst kind of people. The good news is the good news for everybody. And I just got the definition of news back here. If we can throw it up there for a minute. News is... I actually haven't memorized it. I could have went on, but I didn't. Uh, We've done it a few weeks now, right? News is newly received or noteworthy information, especially about recent or important events. And I know that this is not newly received to us, but to some people it is. I've heard stories about even in Knoxville, Tennessee, there's been people that have never heard the gospel. Isn't that crazy? Church is on every street corner. You can't throw a rock without hitting a church in this place. There's probably a church next door we don't even know about, right? Like There's churches everywhere. Like. And it's not new to us, but it's new to some people. It's noteworthy still today, 2,000 years later. It's still something pretty important. I love the good news. It was important to me, especially about recent events. Maybe it's not recent, but it is an important event. See, I love this because news is meant to be shared, right? We have broadcasting companies that they do the news. You can even pick which flavor of news you want to know. Like if you have a certain opinion, you can turn on a certain station. If you have a different one, you can turn on a different station. It's like news that's catered to you. You can get a newspaper. You know, paper's weird, but, you know, you can get one of those. They still make those. Or you can just get it beamed to your phone. News is something that's out there for everywhere, and there's a, there, there's a way to get it no matter where you are. But that's not what Jesus chose. Jesus didn't choose to do a Christian newspaper or a Christian broadcasting company. He chose a different vessel, and that vessel was the church, that the receivers of the news would actually become the carriers of the news, that we wouldn't just hear it and absorb it, but we would take it. And that's what we've been talking about the past few weeks. And this morning, we're going to talk about that again in 2 Corinthians 5. And if you kind of get down to about verse 16, that's where we're going to start at. 
2 Corinthians was the second letter that we have written to the church at Corinth by a man named Paul. He's not really important in the story today, but he's important in our, uh, what we know and believe because he wrote like half this book that we have in our hands, right? Like the whole second half came out of his hand, not out of his words, but out of his hand. And he wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, and it largely deals with how to live out this thing that we call Christianity. You have to remember, it's not something that for these people, grandma and grandpa would have been doing for years and years and years, and then mom and dad would have been doing for years and years and years. It's something that was relatively new on the planet that we could actually follow a savior. And he wrote this letter about how we, how we do this, how we follow the Savior. And chapter 5 has a lot of really cool stuff in it. But this morning, we're going to start at 16. And if you see that title, it says, The Ministry of Reconciliation. If I can just give it away this morning for everybody, just in case we zone out in the next few minutes, this is what we're talking about. That we have a ministry. And that ministry that we have is a ministry of reconciliation. It's just a word meaning to bring back into friendship or agreement bring back into fellowship, that God actually has called all the people that he's called, right, to a ministry. Today we don't have to sit around and wonder what it is God would have for us to do. Maybe it manifests itself in different ways, but can I just say, I know the thing that God has for us to do. When God saves us, when he calls us out of darkness, when he calls us out of our, out of our tomb and into life, when he calls us out of those moments, he gives us automatically something to do. And that thing to do is this ministry of reconciliation. And it's not for certain people or talented people or people who speak well or people who know a lot or people who are singers or people who are musicians. It's people who are people that know Jesus. And it doesn't matter today what your limitations are. It doesn't matter today if you think you're talented or you think you have that ability. We all have that calling. And what that means is that God has called us because he believes in us and he's given us something to do today. It's just the whole thing right there. Sorry about that. But this morning, just to maybe give you some more detail. He starts in verse 16 and he says, from now on, now we don't know what that means, so I'm actually going to back up and read you two verses, but we're not going to talk about them much this morning. It says in 14, for Christ's love compels us or propels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all have died. 15, and he died for all so that those who live, didn't we sing this this morning? So those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. This is what it means when it says from now on. See, in reality, for those of us who are part of the church today, not joined on a roll book somewhere, but God has called us out of our own darkness into his marvelous light. For those of us who know Jesus and follow him, for those of us who church word here are saved. It's not us anymore who lives. It's not us living our own life and doing our own wants and our own desires. It's Christ who lives in us. We're living for him is just what it's saying. We're not living for us anymore if we know Jesus. It's not about my wants and my preferences anymore if I know Jesus. It's not about what I think and what I want to do and what I'm comfortable with anymore if I know Jesus. See, in reality, he died for me, and now what I have the opportunity to do is to live for him. Amen. And that's this moment that Paul writes out of in verse 16 when he says, from now on, because it's Christ who lives in me from now on, because I'm not my own anymore from now on, because I'm living my life for him from now on then, we 
I love this. It's not just Paul. Paul's never just talking about Paul, or very rarely is he just talking about Paul. He's always inviting us in. See, the reality is the only difference in us and Paul, other than we didn't go out into the woods for three years and just learn from Jesus, is that we are not as obedient as he. See, in reality, Paul was a man who persecuted the church, who hated the church. He would hold coats for people as they stoned people who were followers of Jesus. And then he met the resurrected Savior, and it changed everything about him. He knew exactly where he'd come from, but then he saw Jesus, and it changed everything. And he fell in love with the Savior. So from that moment, everything he did was leaning into that, not trying to be me because I'm not worth very much. On my own, I will kill the church. On my own, I will make a mess of things. On my own, I will do more harm than I will good. But if I'll just lean into Jesus and live for him, then I can be doing these things like he did. Paul was a man. He was a man that God greatly blessed, but God's willing to greatly bless anybody who's willing to get on board with what God's doing. So Paul says, from now on, church, from now on, people who say you're saved, from now on then, we, not just Paul, but we, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. There's other versions that say other things like in, in a worldly way or in a fleshly way. We don't see people with our worldly eyes or our human eyes or our fleshly eyes. We don't see people as we would see people is what he's saying. It's a perspective shift. This word know here is not a word that just means that we don't know people as in we don't have relationships with people in a purely human way. But it's a know is a recognizer to see people. I think I have the definition for know back there. There it is. To know is to be aware of through observation. It's not I spent 25 years making you my best friend. Just I'm aware of you through observation, inquiry. I've heard about you or information, right? I've asked questions or somebody's told me. It's not a deep personal know in this moment. It's just an awareness. I've seen this person. And what Paul's saying here is we don't see people with our own eyes anymore, See, what we have this tendency to do is to see people and we form opinions of people, don't we? We have people that we like and people we don't like. We have people that we think maybe are compatible with us and we can be friends with those people or people that maybe are not compatible with us and we can't maybe be friends with those people. We, we judge people, don't we? we maybe, maybe through observation I saw them and they, they're not like me. Or somebody told me about them, like information I've received. Oh, I don't know about them. Or we've asked, man, that dude looks a little weird. What, what do you think about him? And, and we've formed this opinion of, of people. We have people we like, people we dislike. We have people that we want to invest in and people we don't want to invest in. We have people we're indifferent to and people that, that maybe we're not so indifferent to. And Paul's saying, man, after you live for Jesus, you don't have the luxury of doing that anymore. Yeah. Can I just say today, you don't have the luxury of deciding who you like and who you don't like if you know Jesus. You, you don't have the luxury of deciding who's worthy of your friendship and who's not if you know Jesus. You don't have the luxury of looking at somebody and counting them out because how they dress or how they look or how they act. You don't have that luxury anymore. What Paul's talking about is here a perspective shift. That we, that we actually shift our perspective, how we see things. Perspective is just a word that means... It's coming. I can see it. You can't. It's on the back screen. Perspective is a particular attitude towards or way of regarding or thinking about something. It's a point of view. 
He's saying you got to shift your point of view. When we know Jesus, when we live for Jesus, what he's saying is you don't have the luxury of deciding how you feel about people anymore. You need a perspective shift. What he's saying is all that judgmental stuff is not a thing of Jesus. All that deciding who you like and who you don't like, that's not a thing of Jesus. Deciding how you react to people that hurt you even. It's not, uh, it's not a response of Jesus. We all hurt Jesus. And he chose to forgive all of us. And see what Paul's doing through Jesus here is saying that he's inviting us in to see people the way Jesus sees people. You ever heard Paul talk about the flesh and the spirit? Is Paul ever a fan of the flesh? Never. Paul talks about the flesh in its actual state. It's evil. It's immoral. It's wrong. Your opinions of people are wrong, actually, all of them. Good and bad, they're all wrong. Because it's not your opinion that matters, is what he's saying. We need a perspective shift, not an earthly view of people, but a heavenly view of people, that we see people as Jesus sees people. And if we can see people as Jesus sees people, we are well on our way to living our lives in Christ Jesus. Well, how does Jesus see people? Let me just ask you, who'd Jesus die for? Everybody, right? If you, if you know one verse in the Bible, you know enough to answer this question. For God so loved the world. Who'd he love? Everybody. Jesus didn't look around the room and say, you know what, I like you, not really a fan of you, you're okay. Eh. He didn't do that, did he? You don't look like me. We'd all be counted out. You don't dress like me. We'd all be counted out. You don't speak like me. We'd all be counted out. You don't think like me. We've all been counted out. You, you hurt me. We'd all be counted out. And here Paul, through Jesus, is inviting us into a heavenly perspective on the people around us. He says, we don't view people any longer in a worldly way. We don't view people from our perspective. We don't view people any longer from our fleshly perspective. Why? Because the flesh is crucified. We don't view people any longer through purely human eyes, but spiritual eyes, shift your perspective if you're living your life towards Jesus, is what he's saying. Jesus loves everybody. So who have you been called to love? Everybody. Jesus declared on the cross, everybody worthy, because he died for everybody. Who have you been called to think of as, as worthy? Everybody. It's a perspective shift. But it's a perspective shift that should come when we know that we are the offender and Jesus is the forgiver. And when we're the offender and he's the forgiver, we can just move that right on to us. When we're offended, we can forgive. And he says, from now on, if we're living for Jesus, we don't know anyone in a purely human way. And then he says, even if we have known Christ in a purely human way. Remember when we used to know Christ in a purely human way? Everybody in this room started there. That's, that's factual information this morning. I'm not making that up. If your story is, I was born saved, you're dead, and you need a resurrection moment. You might have been born religious. You might have been born a church member. You might have been born somebody who comes in and goes out every week. You might have even been born somebody who respects the teachings of Jesus. But that's a purely human way, isn't it? Let's take a poll out there in the world how people feel about Jesus. If, if their answer starts with, he's a good man, they're not wrong, but they don't have the whole picture. That's a purely human way of viewing Jesus. There's religions that view Jesus as a prophet. And yes, Jesus did come and he did prophesy and he did say things. There were amazing things that Jesus, but that's a half perspective. That's a flesh perspective. That's not the full spectrum of who Jesus is. Some people say, I respect the teachings of Jesus. That's awesome, man. I respect a lot of things and a lot of people, but that's not going to get you from here to heaven. 
That's a purely human way of knowing Jesus. Some people say Jesus was a crazy man, that Jesus was a faker, that he wasn't the son of God. He was just some man that was confused. And that's a purely human way of knowing Jesus. And none of those ways are going to get you into heaven. And we all start out there. Even actually people that say, I believe Jesus is the Savior without giving your life to Jesus or viewing Jesus in a purely human way. It's a half picture. And he says, that's where we all started. Remember when you saw Jesus through human eyes. Remember when you saw Jesus, maybe you sat here in church for 11 years and you knew Jesus was the Son of God because that's what people said, but you'd never experienced it. You were viewing it from human eyes and then God opened the veil and you viewed him from spiritual perspective. And he says that was a perspective shift. And in the same way with the people around us, if we're going to live for Jesus, we have to have a perspective shift. We have to begin to see people as worthy and equal, that there's no divisions, there's no difference. Everybody's on level playing field because God made all people and God died for all people. And that means I'm not better than any people and no people are better than me. We're all in the same spot. And there may be different little issues in our lives, and we may be living in different amounts of sin. But here's the reality. One sin is enough to kill you, so we're all dead without Jesus, and we all need a Savior. And I can't pick and choose whether you're worthy of it because God already said you were. I can't pick and choose if you're worthy of my love because Jesus said you're worthy of his love. Paul's saying if you're going to live for Jesus, you've got to display him with your vision even. How you think about people matters is what he's saying. How you feel about people matters. It's not just about you anymore if you're going to live for Jesus because Jesus never made it about him. He did not use equality as God, something to be grasped or to be taken, but emptied himself. And that's what God's asking us to do, to empty yourself. And some of you are going to hit back with, I'm not doing that. That's awesome. Don't follow Jesus. But that's what you're doing. That you don't know what they did to me. That's awesome, and I'm not trying to make light of that, but I'm saying I know what I did to Jesus, and I'm not aware of what you did to Jesus, but it was probably pretty bad, and he forgave you. They've not said they're sorry. Not a stipulation. See, there's no qualifiers on this, is there? He says we've been compelled by Christ's love to live Christ's life. And if we're going to do that, our perspective has to shift and we have to see people from God's perspective not ours he says yet we no longer know him this way why because God has opened our eyes in 17 it says therefore the therefore is because of this because we don't see Christ anymore in a purely human way because we know Jesus can I just say this out loud today? I just feel the need to do this. It's not in the notes. You can check them later. If you don't know Jesus, don't waste your time. Whatever I'm about to say is good works and good deeds, and it's not going to get you anywhere. The starting place is knowing Jesus. You can love people all day long. It'll never get you into heaven. Jesus is the only way to do that. You can moral yourself all day long. It'll never get you into heaven. Jesus is the only one to do that. I'm going to present the gospel in just a second, and I want you to hang on to that. But let's not worry about good deeds and cleaning up your life today. God will do that, but you have to know him first. But for those of us that know him, that's the therefore. Those of us that have seen Jesus and given our life to him, therefore, because we've done that, if anyone is in Christ, if anybody is in Christ, this word in Christ is in union or relationship, it's actually a marriage word. Not in the church, right? Not into religion, right? Not into, I checked all the rules and stuff, but I'm in a relationship, a love covenant with Christ. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation, 
I just want to say that again to you today because you need that. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Can I just say, it's not saying that God refurbished you today. He didn't house flip you. Like, that's not what God does when we come to, to know him. He doesn't just take the old you and kind of wash you off and then put you back out there to do your thing. When it says new creation, what it means is you're a completely new kind of creation. You're something completely different than what you were, once were. And it says because of that, old things are passed away. Old things are gone. I think I said that the right way. If not, then it's there. Old things have passed away. What's he saying? Well, he's saying exactly what he means. Old things have passed away. What, step one, maybe old habits have passed away. The things you used to do and used to love and used to be part of, and they didn't bother you, and they didn't, they didn't make you flinch at all, that, that sin that you used to live in, that's gone. The way you used to walk, that's passed away. If you're still living exactly the same as when you said a little prayer down here in the front of the room, you're still living in the flesh because you still are the flesh. That's how that works. And I'm not saying we don't ever sin. I don't believe that. And James says, if you say without sin, you're a liar. So I'm definitely not preaching that this morning. I think we all stumble. We all fall. But if you choose to live in sin, you're dead. And that's why you're living in sin. I just want to say that out loud today. I love you enough to be honest with you. I don't want you to think you said a prayer some way. It never changed your life. If God moves into your heart, it changes everything about you. And if you said a prayer and you got up and you lived the same, it didn't work. Maybe you should try it again and again and again and again until God does something in you. But he says, old things have passed away. That old way of life, that's passed away. But what it also means, and I want you to hear that this, this morning, church, is that old guilt and that old shame and that old history are passed away. Some of us come and we, we lay our burdens down at the altar and we come and we say, God, I want you to save me. And he does that. And then before we get up, we, we just feel like we need to load ourselves back down with that guilt and shame, don't we? Man, you don't know who I used to be. It doesn't matter who you used to be. You don't need to tell me. I don't care. If God's taking care of it, that old you's gone. And maybe he'll use it as a glory story one day, right? But it's not something that we just wear around like, man, I'm not worth anything. You can't live in unworthiness if you're living in a place where God's called you worthy. It's not a possibility. Those two things don't go together. They're opposed together. They're opposed to each other. And when he says old things have passed away, some of what he's saying is your history is wiped out at the cross. Man, maybe you choose to share that as I was dead and now I'm alive. I used to do this, but God does this. But what he's saying to us is the devil doesn't get to creep in on our back and say, you remember who you used to be? Because we can say, yeah, and that man's dead, and there is a new creation. He's new. This man you're looking at is new. You can remind me of what I used to be, but I just want you to know God completely plucked me up and put me down in a new place, and I don't have to live in sin and shame and guilt anymore. My history is gone at the cross. Old things have passed away. My old way of life, it's gone. My old preferences, they're gone. My old way of seeing things, it's gone. God made me completely new. Part of that is I have new vision and I see people in a new way. But I want you to know, I'm not just a little bit better version of the old me. I'm a completely new version in the spirit and the power of God. Old things have passed away. And look, why do you think he says that? Because he's writing to the church, a bunch of people that are living in the old things. Living in old shame, living in old guilt, letting the devil tell you you're not worth anything. He says, look people, new things have come. What's he mean? I got a new way of living. I, I, can, I can actually live above that sin that used to beat me down. I don't have to be bound to that anymore. 
Some of you guys feel like you're never going to get out of sin. You can get out of sin. You can get out of it. You can climb up out. Maybe it'll change. Maybe it'll morph. Maybe it'll be something different. And I'm, again, not saying you're never going to sin again. But what I'm saying is if you're still struggling with the same thing you struggled with 30, 40 years ago, there's a God who has power that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. And God can help you at least kind of start struggling out of some of those things. There's a new way. New things have come. I don't have to choose to live in that. I don't have to just give up and live in that. I can live towards God is what it's saying. New things have come. What's that mean? I don't have a history anymore. I have a future. It's a perspective shift, right? I don't have to think about what happened way back there. I can think about what's ahead of me in Christ. There was, a, there was a defining moment, a dividing line where the old me, he died, and the new me sprung into life. And I just want you to know in that moment, we don't worry about the history so much anymore. It's all about the future. The devil can't beat me with my history because God has already declared that I have a future. But it's a perspective shift. And he's saying the old things have passed away, but look, people, new things have come. That's amazing, but he wants you to know this, and this is where you can tune back in if you don't know Jesus. Now, everything is from God. Can I just say today, if you're living in a new way of life, it's not because you decided to. You might be living in morality, but you're just a better version of the old you. You might be living in, I'm, I'm trying to not let these things beat me down, but you're just trying to be a better version of the old new if you. If you're going to be a new thing, it says everything is from God. You didn't do it on your own. See, the only action you get to take in this thing is you get to be a recipient of what God has already done. It says, now everything is from God. God is the one that moves. And it says, who did this? Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. That's what God did. Reconciled. Can we get the definition up there? I already gave you the, my version of it, but reconcile is just to restore friendly relations between, even the word reconcile applies that we were enemies of God. We didn't have friendly relations with God. We weren't on God's team. We weren't, on, uh, we weren't wearing God's jersey. It doesn't matter who you were or what you thought you were or what you did. You were on a different team. You may have been a very moral member of the other team, but you were still dead in your trespasses and sins. That's what the Bible speaks of. But God, even when we were warring against him with our very life, even when we had decided, I don't want you, I don't need you, I'll do it on my own. You can do that from a church pew, by the way, or a seat, padded little cushion thing in here. You can do that from this room is what I'm saying. God chose to bring us back into friendly relations or friendship and agreement with him. That was him. It says, everything is from God who reconciled, past tense, us to himself through Christ, through the Savior, the Messiah, but more than that, through his death on the cross. And then he did this, and I love it. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Can we just zoom out and look at that verse for a second? Everything is from God. Everything we're about to talk about is from God. You know what that's called? A blessing. Because you didn't have to work for it. Everything is from God. Everything we're about to talk about is from God. The God who reconciled or brought us back into friendship with him through his son Jesus dying on the cross. That same God in his grace and his power and his blessings over our life gave us right a gift Salvation is a gift. I love it. But there was another gift, another transaction that took place in that same moment. He gave us a ministry of reconciliation. 
I'm going to just rewind, right, because you didn't get that. He blessed us with a ministry of reconciliation. I love that because how many of us for, for years and years and years have sat around in a church waiting for something to do? And what we think it is, is God's going to bless us with something to do in this building. Amen, he does that. But before he ever blesses us with that, he's already blessed us with something else. And you don't need somebody to like rubber stamp that and agree with that. The Bible says it, and it's true. You don't need some like body to check you off and make sure you can do the thing. God says you can do the thing. You don't have to wait on man to confirm what God's already called you to do. God gave you a ministry of reconciliation. He blessed you with the ability to not only be in the story of God, but to invite other people into the story of God. I just want to say that out loud today because some of us, we sit here and we're like, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? And what we mean is like, where does God want me to live? I don't know, and I don't know that he cares. <laughs> Jesus didn't have a house. I don't know he cares. What does God want me to do about this new car? There's probably smart financial decisions you can make. Like, if you can't afford it, don't go buy it. doesn't take a blessing of God or some verse to tell you that. That's just normal common sense. You don't need to necessarily pray about that. I can't afford that. Don't buy it then. But we waste so much time like, God, what, what is your plan for my life? And it's right here on the page, isn't it? And I think what God would say to us this morning is, quit wasting time like wondering about all these little things that, that really are not the big deal. If you got a house, amen, God has blessed you. If you don't, amen, God has still blessed you if he's called you. You might not have a house here, but you got a room there. But God has blessed us today with the ability to not sit here for 60 years and never do anything and wonder why God never called us to anything. See, God's already called us to a thing. God didn't leave you out. He didn't accidentally save you, and he's not going to accidentally call you. God has a plan for your life if you're part of the church, and that is this ministry of reconciliation. And some of you guys, maybe you don't want to do that, and I'll just say to you, honestly, if you don't want to do that, God will probably never allow you to do anything in his church. You'll sit there for 60 years. This is the thing that he called you to. And you can find somewhere to serve, and it may be meaningful, but it will never be substantial and monumental. See, God has called us to be kingdom builders. He's called us to shift our perspective from only certain people can tell people about Jesus to I can tell people about Jesus because God has given me a ministry of reconciliation. When he called me, he called me to do more than just sit in a chair. He called me to go share the good news. He gave me a ministry, and that ministry is a ministry that says you can come back in to friendship with God. You don't save people, but you can tell the story. It's not your power, it's his power, but he allows his power to work in you is what he's saying. Thanks be to God, everything is from God who reconciled us in Christ and gave us more blessings, a ministry of reconciliation. And then just for us that are not blown away by that, he begins to describe what this ministry of reconciliation really is. He says, that is, or here's this ministry in Christ 
through Christ, through what he did with Jesus on the cross, this sacrifice of the lamb who is worthy, God was, past tense, reconciling the world to himself. I love that. This is your ministry, by the way. This is your ministry, so take notes, write this down, burn this into your brain. This is what God gave you. He said, here's your ministry. That is, in Christ, through Jesus, on the cross, 2,000 years ago, God was, past tense, reconciling the world to himself. This is what God did 2,000 years ago. He made a way that the world could be reconciled to himself. Can I just say today, God's not sitting around on his throne just deciding who he may forgive. He's not like without a game plan up in heaven being like, ah, that was a pretty good prayer. I really think he meant it. He cried. Oh man, he's been in church six Sundays in a row and just, this is the one. 2,000 years ago, God made up his mind that he would reconcile the world. Those that God would call, God has already decided on. It's not about our ability, and it's not about our words, and it's not like if I can share the message in a good enough way. God says his sheep know his voice. All you get to be is the megaphone, right? God's over here. God's over here. That's your whole thing. It's not about how good you do. It's not about how good you present. It's not about how much you know. God already made up his mind. He would reconcile the world. He did it. In fact, on the cross years ago, when Jesus died, Jesus died one time for everybody. There's no more sacrifices. There's no more saviors coming. It's already happened, and God has a game plan, and he knows, I've already decided I will reconcile. God was reconciling the world to himself and it says this, not counting their trespasses against them or their sins or their offenses against them. In other words, God has already decided he will forgive sin. On the cross, when Christ was crushed, every sin was paid for. Some people will never ask for forgiveness. Some people will never step into the kingdom of God. Some people will never go to heaven. They will choose to live without a savior and they will die without a savior. But it doesn't mean that God wouldn't have forgiven their sins. When Jesus died, all sins, all debts, they were canceled out. They were paid for. And if you want it, grace is there. If you want it, forgiveness is there. That's what he's saying. Everything happened already on the cross. God made up his mind already on the cross. Can I say that to you that are saved today? Sins are paid for. Stop wallowing around in the puddle, right? Stop beating yourself up. Oh, I can't do anything. I'm such a bad person. You are a bad person, but you're a saved bad person if you know Jesus. And sin is paid for. You don't have to beat yourself up. Jesus was beaten. You don't have to wallow in it. He was covered in it. God already decided sins would be paid for. Some of us want to act like we're God. Oh, that person could never get saved. Why? Are their sins too big? Did God just decide, no, I'm counting them out? Did he decide, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for this class of sin and this class of sin and this class of sin, but I'll never touch these people? When do you ever see that in Jesus' ministry? He hang out with religious people all the time? No, because religious people are annoying. I'll be honest with you. Amen, hallelujah. Religious people are annoying. I choose not to be one because I don't want to be that guy. 
I'm not a religious person. I'm a Jesus person. I love him, and it's about him. And if you want to argue with me over stupid junk, we can go out to eat, and you can talk all day long. But I'm not going to get into that with you. I'm not going to worry so much about how you act. I'm too, I'm too busy trying to beat this beast back. I'm too busy trying to kill this flesh. I don't have time to worry about your flesh. Religious people are annoying. We want to be like, oh, I'm so good, and everything else is so bad. And Jesus didn't hang out with those people. You know who he hung out with? Sinners. You want to hang out with Jesus, let's start by admitting that you're not that good. You want to get close to Jesus, well, then you have to get close to who you are. Quit pretending because you put that thing on that you're good. You're not good. You're dead without him. And when you get in that perspective of, I'm not really a good person, man, it's not really hard to see how maybe because God would save somebody like me, he would save somebody like them. We don't get to count people out. We don't get to decide. Jesus decided when he died on the cross that sins were forgiven, and that means everybody has a shot today. Whoever God would call, God would save. It's not up to us. This is not counting their trespasses against them. And then this, he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. God did all this work. He reconciled the world to himself on the cross. He made a way that everybody could come back into friendship with God on the cross. He said, sins are forgiven on the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, he didn't mean when you decided they could come to him. He meant done. Sin paid for. And then he says, here's your ministry. Take that message. The word committed, I love this word. Um, Forget the definition for committed back there. There's two, there's a bunch actually, but these are the two that I love. To commit to someone is to send or to entrust or to consign in particular. To commit a message is to send a message. God sent the message through you. That's true today. To commit a message is to entrust a message to someone. That's true today. God entrusted you with the message. He consigned you with the message. God gave you the message, and he gave you that message to go. That's true and factual information. As you go, that message should go with you. Meaning, wherever you go, that message is a part of what you're talking about, what you're doing, that message is happening. He entrusted you with that message. Why did he trust you with it? Because he knew you could do it, right? Some of you want an evangelism training class. Well, that maybe is a great tool, but I just want you to know there's nobody that's going to teach you how to share the message where you're going to feel comfortable sharing the message. God has trusted you with the message. He's put his stamp on it. You don't need a certificate. But I love the second one. To commit is to pledge or bind a person or an organization, in this case, God did it with both. Corporately, we're to share the message. But personally, we are to share the message to a certain course or policy. I love that word, bound, to bind. Can I just say today that you are inseparably bound to the gospel message in Jesus? If you know Jesus, I just want you to know he wants you to take the message and he trusted you with the message, but he did more than that. He bound you to the message. Can I say today, if you know Jesus, you can't get away from the message. He tethered the message to you. You're not the messenger. You are the message. 
I just want to say that again. You're not the messenger. You are the message. Some of you want like the five point thing. Like how do I go down through here and do the Roman road thing and like get me through the book? How do I? That's annoying. Do you know that? Can you read this? Maybe it worked 20 years ago. You do that to somebody my age, and I'm going to be like, no, I'm going to treat you like the skincare people at the mall. (laughs) Sometimes you just want to throw money at the people so they'll leave you alone. I don't want to spend 30 minutes with you while you make me read a bunch of verses in a book. I'll be honest that most of the world doesn't believe anyway. Maybe it's a helpful program to get you involved with what God says about how people are saved. I'm not knocking that necessarily. But I'm just saying, it ain't going to work with my generation. We don't have time for that. Have you met anybody my age? Over here, over here, over here. We don't slow down to, to read in the supermarket. Oranges, I don't care what kind they are. I don't care how much they cost. I know I need oranges. I'm putting them in the thing, right? We don't, we don't read. Maybe you post it on Twitter. We'll get to it. I'll be honest. If you know Jesus, it's not about being able to quote the Roman road to somebody. If you know Jesus, you know what people want? They want you to authentically look like you know Jesus. If you just like come to church and then you go out there and you do the, your thing, there ain't one person that cares what you say. I don't care how many times you pick up that Bible and make me read it. There ain't one person that cares what you say if your life doesn't reflect the gospel. And what God is saying is that you're bound to the gospel message. That you're inseparably tethered to the gospel. You are not simply the messenger. You are the message. Can I just say, it it matters how you live. It matters how you live. I'm not trying to put pressure on you to be perfect. There's nobody that's perfect. James says, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. There's nobody that's going to be perfect. And I hate that the church has taught people you've got to act like you're perfect. Nobody wants you to be perfect because they know that's a lie. What they want is somebody who will say, you know what, I'm broken and I'm messed up and I don't have it all together, but I want you to know God loved me enough to save me. In my brokenness, he saved me. In my mess, he saved me. In the I don't know what I'm doing, he saved me. They don't want people when days are hard that, that walk in with a fake plastered smile on your face and say, oh yeah, I'm great. I know your life's blowing up. You have social media and you post everything. (laughs) Don't come in here with some fake smile and pretend like you have it all together. If you're hurting, you say you're hurting. But then you let them know what kind of hope is going to get you through the hurt. See, it's not about knowing all the Bible verses. It's about living out what the Bible says. It's about showing, displaying that there's a hope that is in you that's greater than the hope that's in the world. It's about showing that that when Jesus moved into your life, he really did something. You know how people my age have run from church? Because they grew up in church. Amen. 
People my age don't go to church because they grew up in church. And they were surrounded by fakes and phonies and frauds who pretended like everything was okay and we could see through the crap. Who maybe acted like they were best friends, but you know they hated each other. Acted like they had it all together, but they didn't have anything together. And we got tired of the lies. Because all we were looking for is for this to be real. There's not one person on the planet that doesn't hope this is real, by the way. I don't care what they've said. I don't care what they say. There's not one person on the planet that doesn't hope there's really something to this. But here's the deal. They don't need your Instagram Bible verse quotes. And they don't need your little fake Christianese sayings. They need Christians, little Christ, people that would be the living essence of the gospel, not people who can repeat something they heard, but people who are, in fact, saved and authentic, broken, hurting people who are in love with the God who miraculously loves them. Man, I want to tell you today, your lights in here, they'll never get people to church. The message, it'll never get people to church. What they need to see is an authentic messenger who doesn't just know how to speak some pretty words about the gospel, but who lives it and believes it and who eats it and who sleeps it. Somebody who's desperately in love in a marriage union with Christ. Who can say in the dark times, man, I hate you're going through that because I love you, but I want you to know there's somebody that can walk through that with you because he walked through this with me. Man, I used to be this, but now I'm this because of what Christ has done in me. They don't want you to quote them the Bible. They want you to live them the gospel. And Jesus is saying today, I believe in you because I bound this to you. If you are not the gospel at work, I don't know that you're ever the gospel. If you're not the gospel at home, I don't know that you're ever the gospel. You may be, in quotes, a Christian, and you may be, in quotes, saved, but we need to get up past that today, church. We need to live like Jesus lives. Oh, man, if he died, if he died, if one died for all, then all have died. And if he died for me, man, I will live for him. Let's pray.